Well, as we, as we finish this series, the last two weeks we've been kind of in this series talking about God as he is uh, in the beginning, God in the middle, and, and today really the God who is in the end and the God who is in all time. And, and last week, Pastor Jermaine preached a powerful message on, on God's presence and him being with us. And today, as we consider what it looks like for God to be with us at all times, for him to be the God of the end, I wanted to ask you uh, a question. Have you ever had a moment where you, you really needed to be comforted? Have you ever had a moment where you really needed to be comforted? Um, and and if, that was, if that's true of you, if you can think back to that moment, what did you do? What did you seek out? I think for some of us, in moments of need of comfort, we seek out our mom's cooking. We want to go home, you know, maybe we're a teenager or we're a college kid, and, and we want to go back home and, and eat the food that, that mama made. You know, my mom's Korean, and there's just something special about that pungent smell of kimchi. Some of you, you don't relate to that. For me, that's home. That's comfort food. For some of you, it's, it's different. Maybe it's not food that you pursued in, in a desire for comfort, but it's, it was a routine. Okay, if I can just get my hands on my schedule, if I can just uh, get something predictable and planned out, then I will be okay. For some of it's, it's, it's a greater sense of control over the details of our lives. Things go out of control, and so we go into hyper-control mode, trying to control the other aspects of our life, the other people in our lives. What was it for you? What was it for you? The question of comfort is, uh, it's a valid question. It's a worthwhile question because we all go through difficult times and, and painful seasons. And so it's interesting that uh, a famous catechism, some of you are like, I don't know anything that's famous that's a catechism. But a famous catechism, the, the Heidelberg Catechism, it, it begins with this question. Now a catechism, if, you're not, if you didn't grow up in church where you were being catechized, it's, it's just a tool where it's questions and answers that you memorize. And that sounds like tons of fun to all of us, I know. I didn't grow up in, in, a, in a church tradition where, where people were catechized, so I didn't have this baggage that many people who have do. So when I came to it, I was like, this is really cool, this is neat. And, and it's, a, it's a little bit like the difference between um, putting your books away on your shelves Versus putting your books away by building a shelf every time you need to put a book away. So there are some parents in the room. We're going to take a quick side note. Parents, catechisms can be helpful. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just look up New City Catechism or Children's Catechism. What they are, are they, they help your kids have boxes to put theological ideas. Who is God? Who is Jesus? So that as they get older, they can reflect back on the things that they've learned and it begins to allow them to have a kind of frame of reference that I personally wish I had had. Okay, side note over. Um, the Heidelberg Catechism is it's a historical document. You can look it up. It's, it's very well known among those who know about these things <laughs> and completely unknown to everyone else. I'm aware. But he, they start with this question, what is your only comfort in life? And in death. And I want, you to, I want us to listen to the answer. What is your only comfort in life and death? 
that I, with body and soul, both in this life and in death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who, with his precious blood, has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from the power of the devil. And so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things must be subservient, must serve to my salvation. And therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. Now that is a mouthful, but what were they trying to get at? They were trying to get at that your comfort, your ultimate comfort, my ultimate comfort isn't just my mom's kimchi and rice. Your ultimate comfort isn't just your, your, your ability to, to get everything into your, your system of, of management. It isn't just to be able to get people to do the things that you need to do. Our ultimate comfort is that God will be faithful. That the same Jesus who overcame sin and death is presently preserving you and will keep you for eternal life. So we're going to be reading out of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. If you'll stand with me, we're going to be reading out of Hebrews chapter 13, one single verse, verse 8. We're going to read it aloud together. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And because it's short, because I think it's meaningful, we're going to read it two more times. Jesus Christ is is the same yesterday and today and forever. And then one more time for the forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that we are able to trust you. Because at the core of who you are, you are who you are. There's no shadow of change. There's no movement from your nature or character. There's no improvement. There's no uh, falling away. But God, you are who you are. And Jesus, you are faithful and true. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we consider these words that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, that you would open up what that looks like to us in your scriptures, that you would raise our level of faith in you, that we would be able to more completely and unholy establish ourselves in in the trust of who you are, that we would walk away from this place. God, I pray that we would walk away from this place with a greater sense of security in who you are, who you were, who you are, and who you will be for us. Father, I praise you that my salvation is not dependent upon myself because I am not who I was or who I am or who I will be. I will always be a changing person because of the nature of humanity. But God, I thank you that my faith is not in my own ability, but your saving preservation the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. God, open up your word to us, I pray. Give us eyes to see wondrous things in your word. Give us a hunger and thirst to appreciate what your word says and give us the strength and the courage to obey. 
We pray all of these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated. For the Christian, our greatest comfort is that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I want to consider over the next few minutes who Jesus was, who he is, and what scripture says he will be for us. I want to think about Jesus yesterday, Jesus today, and Jesus forever. So uh, I want to begin by thinking about Jesus yesterday. Now, there was a, a pastor on our staff who also, he had a background in police work. He was a detective, pretty serious guy. Some of you know him. Uh, Sean Perkins, amazing man of God. He actually went and he, his wife and him planted a church in, in Myrtle Beach. But I remember having a conversation with him as we were talking about his line of work and, and the nature of humanity. And he said something that, that I'll never forget. He said that the best indicator of a, of a person's future behavior is his or her own past behavior. The best indicator of uh, a person's future behavior is his or her past behavior. Now, he was speaking very directly from a, a detective's perspective. If you're thinking in terms of the gospel, you, you're going to want to raise your hand and say, no, 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 no. <laughs> God can change us, right? And so it, it may sound a little pessimistic, but this was some of what he experienced. And, and certainly it's true for those who don't have the, the spirit of God at work in their lives. A sinner is going to be a sinner is going to be a sinner. Apart from the, the, the work of God to bring new life, to bring transformation with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, a sinner is going to be a sinner is going to be a sinner. A person's past experience is going to determine their future experience. But something I thought about is that this principle, while discouraging for us at times, right, you look at your past and you say, how am I getting away from that? It's an encouraging thing when we think about Jesus, Right? When I look at my life, I, I don't want to be defined by my past. But when I look at Jesus, I'm glad that he's in some way at least described by his past. I won't say he's defined by his past but because he's not defined by things in creation. But the things that he does in creation show us a thing about who he is and who he will be. So in Genesis 1.1, the word says that in the beginning... I don't know why I'm going there, but we'll do it just for fun. Um, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And we have this narrative of God creating the heavens and the earth, him doing various things. And what's interesting is that when John begins his gospel, I think we've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. When John begins in, in John chapter 1, he wants to draw a connection from Genesis to, to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So in the beginning we saw in Genesis that God creates everything. And here John says, you know what? Everything that was created was created with and by and through Jesus Christ. In fact, there's nothing that was created that was created apart from Him. In him was life, and the life was light of men. And if you're wondering, how do we know that the word is Jesus? John tells us, he goes down, and in verse 14, he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he says, And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we see that Jesus, not just God the Father, but Jesus 
is the creator. He's the author. He's the God over all. Before God created anything, it was who? It was God. And anything he created, he was the Lord of. He was over. My kids have Legos, and they put together things. Uh, one of my kids put together a, um, this yellow Fiat, really kind of cool, stylish Fiat. Um, and that's his toy, Fiat. It, he created it. He put it together, and it's his. That's an imperfect analogy. It was given to him by some people if he were to try to, you know, recreate it or, you know, Lego has some sort of control over it. He, it's copyrighted. But in a sense, it's his. And, and the reality is the things that we create are ours because we are its creator. If you write a book, if you write a story, if you write a song, that's your thing. And God... Jesus Christ, in this case, is creator and Lord over all. He has power over creation. He has authority over creation. This is good because he's Lord over all. And you know what all includes? Your problems, your circumstances, your issues. If Jesus had authority over and above creation yesterday, then we can trust that he will remain above our circumstances which exist in creation and fall within his authority. If Jesus has control over creation, then we Christians need not fear anything in creation because it is in his control. This is why Paul can tell us in Romans 8.28 that God works all things for the good of, who, of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Not because we're awesome, not because we're great project managers, but because God is the ultimate project manager and his timeline is not going to be messed up. His Gantt chart is on schedule. He knows what he's doing. He's our creator. He was our creator. Not only that, he, he was our, our redeemer. In Exodus chapter, chapter 3. We see that, that Moses is talking with the, the, the angel of the Lord. We believe this is a theophany, that he's speaking with God. And, and he has been charged to go to the people of Israel, to go to the leadership of, of Egypt and say, set my people free. And so he has just a simple question, you know, okay, I'm just a dude. I'm a shepherd guy, ran away, don't have a lot of credibility. How are they going to listen to me? And God says this, I'll start in verse 13, chapter 3, verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? In other words, in whose authority are you coming? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And, and, he, says, and he said to him, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And we're all familiar with that. Uh, actually, Pastor Jermaine pre preached a message that, that treats this, this section in greater detail on two Wednesdays ago about the great I am. But if we fast forward from that and we go to John chapter 8, we see Jesus interacting with some Pharisees who are trying to nail him. They're, they're arguing with him. They're, they're, they're trying to one-up him. Um, they're questioning Jesus' lineage and his, his legitimacy, his authority. And, and Jesus says, rather than being sons of Abraham, they were good, you know, 
uh, Israelite boys. They were sons of Abraham, they claimed. But Jesus acknowledges that by their lying and their denial of Jesus' ministry, that they rather resemble their father, their true father, Satan. Everybody likes to be called a son of Satan. And so hilarity ensues. Um, and we see, I'll start in, in verse 39 of chapter 8. Then they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. <laughs> that is not what Abraham did. Right? Jesus is, this is obvious, guys. He's being facetious. You are doing the works of your, that your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So they take it, don't, don't just, that's kind of clunky terminology. They were questioning his legitimacy, right? We know who your mom is and we know who your dad isn't. Right, so Jesus says, you guys are the sons of Satan, and they said, well, you're, I won't say the word. Um, it was bad. It was bad. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Is it, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do the father, your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus is giving them the hammer. But because I tell the truth and you do not, you do not believe me, which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words. He's saying, look at my actions. Look at my life. What sin are you convicting me of? You've heard my words. They're true. What are you arguing with? You're arguing because you're a son of the devil. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. This is the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not from God. And they are furious. I mean, have you ever had this kind of conversation where it just kind of gets out of control? You know, you started with the email and like, hey, you should have done this and that. You should have done this. And then people start talking about their moms and, and you're like, oh, this is not, we're not getting back from this place. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan? Again, illegitimacy, the, the, the Jews at this time believed that the Samaritan people were illegitimate, that they were conceived in an unlawful, ungodly way. And, and so they were like, are you not a Samaritan and have a demon? You're crazy and you're demon, you're, you're demon possessed. Not a good thing to tell God. Side note, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he's the judge. Truly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews never see death and, and they think they have him. The Jews said to him, now we know, we know you have a demon. Abraham died. Yes, Jesus knows this, side note. As did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And I mean, this sounds like they're fifth graders on, on anyways. But by the grace of God go I. Uh, and the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? And he says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. My father who glorifies me, uh, of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. 
If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I like you. Man! <coughs> but I do know him, and I keep his words. Right? As a side note, can we just, Jesus is not just meek and mild and carrying a sheep. Right? Jesus is tough. And when, it, when, when the situation requires it, he is willing to tell the truth. Um, and these were not people who, they were calling into question the, the glory of God. These were not people who, you know, uh, they need to hear the gospel. They heard the gospel, they rejected the gospel, and they called the works of God the works of Satan. Not a good place to be. Anyways, um, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? You're a, you're a young buck. You're in your 30s, man. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, and this is the piece that I actually wanted to get to in this conversation. Before Abraham was, what he doesn't say in arguing that he existed before Abraham was, he doesn't say before Abraham was, I was. Before Abraham was, I existed. No, he says before Abraham was, I am. And they heard that, and that, that's when they were like, okay, it's time to stone this guy. Before, we were just kind of angry, but clearly he is, he's blaspheming God. And those who would claim to be God were to be stoned. Now, the unfortunate thing for them is that Jesus is the I am. He is God. He is God. Why do I say all this? Because the I am of the Old Testament, Yahweh, is the God who redeemed the people of Israel. He was the God who said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And in our, in our culture, many of us struggle to relate to this idea of covenant. But when God makes a covenant, he makes an agreement with us and he promises, but his promise is not contingent on anything except for himself. And what did Jesus say? I cannot lie. So if he says, I'm going to be your redeemer, he cannot lie. The same God who said, I'm going to redeem you and could not lie is the God who came and died on the cross and said, if anyone would come to me, if anyone would trust in me, whoever, whosoever believes in me, what? Will not perish but have eternal life. He is the I am. He's our great redeemer. What else? He was our sin bearer. In 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. For those of you who are new, I do this to encourage everyone to read their paper Bibles. This is what I lovingly refer, uh, refer to as the Bible that I shake at you. Uh, it's, it's in love. But that's why I, I don't mind taking the extra time because it's valuable to read a paper Bible. There's just something about getting off your device and not getting distracted by Twitter or whatever the next thing is or solitaire. Uh, I'd encourage you to get one. Anyways, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul tells us that for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what uh, the reformers uh, like Martin Luther called the great exchange. God takes our sin, places it on Christ, on Jesus Christ, and he takes 
Jesus' righteousness and applies it to us. He imputes it to us. He gives it to us. Right? If this was school, I'm getting his uh, all A's report card and he's getting my all F's and bad behavior report card. He's being treated like the student who has all F's. I'm being treated like, you know, the honor roll student. I get the bumper sticker. He gets in trouble. That's, that's a tame example of, of what this great exchange is. But, but for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. What does it mean that he, be, he, he, he made him to be sin? It means that on the cross, when God looked at Jesus, God treated Jesus as though he had sin. He treated Jesus as he would treat a sinner. Think about the worst. Don't. There are terrible things in the world and people who have done terrible, evil, wicked things. I, I don't want to go down the list, but, but we're all familiar with the fact that the world is full of brokenness and, and indescribable, horrible wickedness. When Jesus was on the cross... He bore our sins as though he was that person. He bore our sins as though he was the one who had committed those heinous crimes that I don't even want to name. But we could go down a list and name them. He was treated, he became sin so that we might be treated like a faithful, loving, devoted son. Do you understand that God treats you like a faithful, loving, devoted, obedient son? As one who deserves an inheritance and care and affection and love. But it's not because you deserve those things. Family, I love you. You don't. I don't. It's because Jesus did. He was our sin bearer. He bore the sins of his people in order that we would receive righteousness. I could go on and we could talk about who Jesus was, but for the sake of time, we'll continue and talk about Jesus today. As after Jesus was raised from the dead, he appeared to the disciples to tell them to wait for the Holy Spirit. Then he ascended to heaven, and Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, that he is seated at the right hand of God. What that looks like, is it a real throne? Is he seating? Where is God? God's not visible. I, I don't know. The Bible says that in some way, shape, or form, he represents us as he is seated at the right hand of God. So what is he doing now? If we go to Hebrews chapter 4, the, the letter that we've been in, chapter 4, verse 15, it says, I'll start in verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Right? Since we have a great high priest who, who uh, we'll, we'll get to that, um, let us hold fast to our confession. 4, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, if, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament and you don't have a Jewish background, maybe you, you, what is this high priest thing? In the Old Testament, God was giving us pictures of who Jesus Christ would be, and one of the pictures he gave us was of this idea of a priest. A priest was one who would stand between God and the people of God. They would represent the people of God to God. And the high priest was the one who one time a year would come into the, the Holy of Holies, this place in the temple where uh, the presence of God would be heavily felt and he would represent the people of God to God. He would make the necessary sacrifices to assuage God's wrath, to, to take away God's righteous wrath for their sin. Now, 
the high priests of the Old Testament, they were sinners. And so they had to do ritual cleansing, and they had to actually have a, a sacrifice for themselves before they even began to go into the temple. They had to represent the people of God well. But Jesus is a perfect high priest who now intercedes for us and who can relate to us. One of the most unique things about Christianity is that we have a God who can relate to us. We don't have a God who just is far off and holy and distant. God is holy. He is uh, distinct from creation, but he is not separated from us in the sense that he has chosen to come near in Jesus Christ. We have a high priest. Jesus knows your situation. He can relate to your temptations. Can you believe that? Now, he, he's not one to fall to temptation, but he knows what it is to be tempted. When you feel temptation to, to say that thing, to respond in anger, when you feel tempted to, to send that email, to gossip, when you feel tempted to, to look at that thing, when you, you feel tempted to, to, to not respond in kind, when you feel tempted to, to not extend forgiveness, these are all things that Jesus was tempted with. He can relate to your pain. He can relate to the brokenness in your life. Jesus, if you think about his life, put it on paper. He was rejected by friends and family. He was falsely accused. He was belittled by those who were closest to him. He was treated like a son um, born out of wedlock in, in a culture that it's not a good thing. He was disregarded and disrespected. He, was, he experienced profound emotional and, and eventually physical pain. I mean, just, you have this close group of 12 guys that, that you spent your life with. You spent three years pouring yourself into. And at your deepest moment of pain and suffering, the three closest ones couldn't even stay awake. And then, and then the officials come to, to falsely accuse you and arrest you. And you know, Jesus knows this is going to be a painful end. And, and what happens? They scatter. They, they abandon ship. We, not that close, Jesus. He knows what rejection feels like. He knows what being disregarded feels like. Whatever you're going through, Jesus can presently relate to it. It doesn't mean that he's sinned, but he has stood in our shoes. Jesus is our high priest. He's also the source of all spiritual blessing. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Our Father has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is, this is speaking of what, what theologians call the doctrine of union with Christ. Right, you you want to impress friends and relatives? We can talk about this. I don't know that it will. It doesn't impress my friends. Um, But the idea is that when we put our faith in Christ by faith, we are not just kind of in the club, but we are identified with Christ. So where Christ is, we are. So even though you and I are sitting here in these lovely but not heavenly chairs, we are somehow in the presence of God through Christ. And because of that, as we are sitting in the presence of God through Christ, mediated by faith, we receive the spiritual blessings we need. 
We receive justification, this, this spiritual blessing that says that I no longer am counted a sinner, but I'm counted righteous. That's because we're united with Christ. It, the spiritual blessing of sanctification, that, that by the grace of God, I am, <coughs> I am not going to be determined by or defined by my past behavior because the Holy Spirit is at work in my life. Why is he at work in my life? Because I am united with Christ by faith. I am experiencing some of the glories of God. The, the, the worship that we have sometimes and, and you feel just a sense of his presence and, and you, you get a glimpse of how good God is. Maybe you have a moment where you see God at work and you see the, the mercy of God flow into your life and you realize that God is glorious or, or you pray for someone and, and, and they get saved and you see God's glory expressed in that moment. That's a spiritual blessing that comes as a result of our, by faith, being united with Christ. Jesus is the source of all spiritual uh, blessing. What this means is that you have all that you need when you have Christ. Do you need to be assured of God's forgiveness? Find that assurance in Christ. Do you need to be strengthened to boldly share your faith? maybe with friends and family this Thanksgiving, then find that boldness in Christ. Do you see that you're a sinner who needs to be saved from the wrath of God? Maybe you, you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ up to this point and you realize you need to. How do you find that but, come by, but by coming to Jesus and receiving him, being joined to him today? Do you need provision for tomorrow? Ask Jesus, trust Jesus. Come to Jesus with your empty hands and received all that he's purchased for you. He's our source. We know that Jesus has been our creator, our redeemer, our sin bearer. And today he's our, our, in heaven as our high priest. He's our source of spiritual blessing. And we can trust that he will remain forever. Jesus forever. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 the writer of Hebrews says this, consequently, talking about Jesus, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives and makes intercession for them. Why can people come to God and be saved? But because Jesus is presently ministering on behalf of his people. In the Old Testament, the high priest stood between God and his holiness and the sinful people and said, God, would you, would you relent from your, 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 your judgment? Would you relent from your anger? Would you relent from your wrath? Lord, we, we give you this sacrifice and we ask you to forgive us our sins. In the New Testament, we see Jesus is now ascended in heaven. He is not offering a new sacrifice, but he points to the sacrifice and says, God, Father, I have made the perfect sacrifice. This person has come to me. Receive them because they've come to me. He is our high priest who intercedes for us. And it's a comfort that he'll do that for us. In 2 Thessalonians, we see that he is our comforter. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, Paul prays this. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us Eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. It's nice to know that Jesus is a comforter. It's nice to know that the Holy Spirit is a comforter. But what, what struck me is that God has given us eternal comfort and good hope. You'll need comfort in this life. You'll, you'll need hope in this life. And, and your hope will need to be greater than, hey, 
Friday's coming. Saturday's coming. You'll need comfort and hope that are not based on the circumstances of this world because you know what? This world is fickle. Some of you, you had had retirement plans and you were millionaires. And then you weren't. And it had, where'd it go? Maybe you weren't just so like, where'd it go? You know, maybe that was your response. The world is fickle. And you need comfort. You'll need comfort to obey God in the face of opposition. You'll need a deep abiding hope when faced with the brokenness of sin in your own life and the lives of those around you. What are you hoping in at Thanksgiving? Some of you, you're going to Thanksgiving. You're, I mean, everyone's like, oh, I don't want to eat the turkey. Just no. But some of you are like, I don't want to see the people. I don't want to see that relative. I don't want to experience that pain. And you need hope. You need hope. Jesus is and will eternally be that hope for us all. Because he's overcome death and sin, because he's reigning eternally, we can trust on him. We can rely on him. We can hope in him. That means that on Thursday when you look at that that relative or that friend and you're like, we meet again. You know that God is sustaining you because he was faithful to sustain us in the past. Those of us who place our lives with Jesus can hope in him. Finally, in Jude... Jude is in the Bible. Um, we forget about it because it, it doesn't even have chapters. In Jude, uh, verses 25 and 24, they say this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time, now, and forevermore. Ultimately, Jesus will be the king who will reign and be glorified. Ultimately, Jesus is our hope because he is our king. When Jesus defeated sin and Satan, God put him uh, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is to be named, both in, in his age and the age to come. That's in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. And ultimately, those who have placed our trust in Christ are destined to glorify God in his presence through Jesus Christ. In the beginning, Jesus was king. He had authority. He had power as the creator. In the span of redemption, Jesus has been the Lord of redemption. And into eternity, Jesus will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I wanted to read out of Revelation one of my favorite texts that's really scary and awesome where Jesus comes on a white horse, there's a sword coming out of him, there are eyes of fire, but the commentary said don't do that because that's just about judgment. So I just, I'll allude to that. (laughs) Because Jesus is awesome. And I don't mean that in the, hey man, that's awesome type way. I mean he inspires awe. He's not king of kings and lord of lords. In this sort of fickle, uh, uh, glib, he is in charge. He's in charge of the people who are in charge. Who is the most scary person you know? Is it your boss? Is it your spouse? Is it your, you know, your, your grandma? I mean, who is that person? 
Jesus is far greater than that person. Who in history are you thinking, man, that person was crazy. Genghis Khan, you know, Alexander the Great, Caesar. You know what? They're dead. You know who isn't dead? Jesus. You know who's going to reign? Jesus. You know who's king? Jesus. You know who's Lord? Jesus. Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is our God, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Have you considered the fact that there are bad things that you have done and you cannot undo? Paul tells us in Romans that we are all sinners and we have fallen short of the responsibility that we have to reflect his awesomeness, to reflect his glory. He, he phrases it this way, we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory. We have had a responsibility as mirrors to reflect God's goodness and glory and we have failed. Because of that, we deserve punishment. But God, who is merciful and kind, has given us Jesus Christ, who is our creator, he's our redeemer, he's our sin bearer, he's our high priest, he's our spiritual source, he's our eternal comfort, and he is the king of kings. If you haven't today, would you submit to him today? Would you turn away from your sins and trust in Jesus to be your sin bearer? Would you turn away from your own attempts to rule your life and submit to the king? Will you bow your knee? Would you stop seeking comfort in the world and come to the one who provides eternal comfort? And to my friends and family here who are Christians, may this reality of the unchanging, unwavering nature of Jesus Christ be the bedrock, the foundation of your faith, your worship, your obedience. As you consider your own sins, your own struggles, your own trials, look to Jesus I've been reflecting on this, this thing that uh, a famous Scottish pastor said, a guy named Robert Murray McShane. Um, one of the things he said to his congregation, that, that's a, it's a well-known quote, he says, for every look you take of your own self, take 10 looks at Christ. Every time you look at your own problems, take 10 looks at Christ. Every time you look at your own sin and your struggles, take 10 looks at Christ. Because when you look at your problems, things get dark. When you look at your sin, things get dark. When you look at the overwhelming uh, brokenness in your life, it gets heavy and it gets dark. But when you look at the, the, the Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is King of kings, Lord of lords, ruling and reigning in control and in authority, you realize, I can handle this. And even if I can't handle this, he can handle this. In my weakness, he is strong. His grace is sufficient. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that, that there's no shadow of change in your nature and your character that you are the same God of Moses the same God of Israel the same God of David the same God of, of Pentecost and Jesus we thank you that you are right now interceding on our behalf if you've not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior but you'd like to do that today You'd like to turn away from everything you know to be sin and turn and trust Jesus. I want you to raise your hand. I want you to pray with me. 
God, we, we thank you that you are Lord and Savior. We thank you that our, you're our sin bearer, that we can look to your past and see our future. And God, I pray that you would found us on this, this reality that is so abundantly communicated in your word. That you're trustworthy, you're faithful, you're strong. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We will worship you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Love you, family.